Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one best-selling book, The Code Breaker. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Then call my office at 662-844-1414 and order my new book, The Code Breaker. What is up on a Friday? I am Brian Scott Rippey, my co-conspirator. As always, is Michael Borky. It is Mailbag Friday. The People's Holiday has returned. We've got a bunch of questions to get to. We've got a baseball series uh, between Ole Miss and Princeton. We'll probably get into it. As I told Borky, I don't, I, mean, I don't pretend to know anything about Princeton. We'll maybe go through some stuff, but it'll be mostly... Here's a breakdown. They are better than Princeton. You're welcome. Yes, they are. And uh, Reese Davis' son plays for Princeton, so I'm sure that nugget will never be mentioned on television throughout oh, the weekend. God. The the uh, it'll be like Kramer Robertson being Kim Mulkey's kid. Yeah, it's Kim Mulkey's son, and then uh, Blake Bortles paid for Colby Bortles' tuition, and they're brothers. But uh, anyway, if that name sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, people often forget Bortles that is the same as Blake Bortles. Yeah, that's right. They're brothers. It honestly, if Blake Bortles were in school, or excuse me, Colby Bortles were in school right now. It would have been kind of funnier because instead of oh he's a quarterback for the Jaguars, it's oh he's Jared Goff's backup, uh, and probably now <laughs> he's best most known famous for, for his appearances on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say he's now uh, probably most famous for just being best friends with Big Cat and PFT commenter. He lets them like sleep at their house and stuff. But <laughs> anyway, we'll get into some baseball storylines. Really, as it is for most SEC teams, I don't know if you anyone out there listened to our radio show yesterday, but as Richard and Teddy Cahill kind of discussed. Uh, for SEC teams, this last weekend is just kind of boring. It's a t- usually playing a school that you're going to kick the ever living shit out of. Like they, it's just kind of a tune up weekend as you try to get right. And you know some teams need it. Like Ole Miss, I mean most all teams actually. It's very useful as boring as it is because I mean just look in this state. state especially Miss, needs yeah you, just you, in three baseball games. Yeah, you just uh, you just nailed it there. I was going to say start with Ole Miss where you know you see some more freshman pitch kind of like you saw Tuesday. But you go across the state in a club like Mississippi State, who's still trying to actually kind of find itself after losing a, you know, a first-round pick on Friday nights. They're not hitting well. They lost the uh, – what's the outfielder's name? Uh, broke his wrist in the Sunday game against Long Beach. Uh, Tanner Allen, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, for a team like that, you talk about really useful. Like, they, they really need it. And Quinnipiac, I believe, sent – ECU through the losers bracket uh, sent Cliff Godwin's club through the losers bracket of their own regional last year by winning the Friday night game. I don't know what going to PX like this year, but still a fairly formidable. I think they're one and eight. Uh, so they stink this year. They are one and eight. Yep, they have. They got swept by UTSA. They got swept by James Madison, and they won a Friday night game against VMI and lost the other two. Okay, so they're not very good this year. But point that kind of even just underscores my point more. Uh, we teams need these kind of weekends, uh, particularly st- in this case, state and you know Arkansas and LSU haven't played very good baseball of late either. So we'll get into that. Ole Miss has a somewhat interesting basketball game against Mississippi State on Saturday afternoon. I'll be at that game at Humphrey Coliseum in Starkville. Uh, you know, Ole Miss really. Like, I, I've been using the term "playing out the string." But I feel like I haven't used that properly because that's usually something for teams that have quit. This team hasn't quit. They just don't really have much to play for. So, But they're still sure. playing hard. 
It's Tyrese' final regular season game. Uh, really, for Ole Miss, it's a role of spoiler. I know State's loss to South Carolina on Tuesday was pretty crushing in terms of their NCAA hopes, but they are still alive, and there is still a path, and crazier things have certainly happened. But you talk about Ole Miss probably having a chance to issue a kill shot to Mississippi State's uh, post I mean, NCAA tournament hopes. I, I would say this game kind of sets up that way. At least that's the way I see it. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think they have a shot at getting getting back in unless they at least get to Sunday uh, at the SEC tournament next week. But, uh, yeah, Ole Miss can end all hope. I mean, probably knock them out of the NIT, maybe, if Ole Miss can beat them uh, on Saturday. So they can be the spoiler. Um, I saw Mississippi State was selling uh, two-for-one tickets. Uh, so if you spend 10 bucks, they give you a ticket to the basketball and the baseball game that day. Uh, so – Probably not going to be the greatest crowd in the world, but still maybe even a little bit better than you've had there at the hump this year. Which, and, is, a, um, which is a shame because I was at that January game last year that was really the defining week of Ole Miss's season. It was the second full week of SEC play. Ole Miss had come off a huge win at home against a ranked Auburn club and then goes on the road and beat Mississippi State, who I, I can't remember if State was ranked at that time. I want to say they were or maybe just outside the top 25, and it vaulted Ole Miss into the rankings for the first time since 2013. Like, that was really the week where you're like, okay, this is actually a tournament club. They're actually probably going to do this. Uh, and that game and that environment was awesome. That was as, as bad rap as college basketball gets for a bad product sometimes. That was a fantastic basketball game, and it was a great environment. And it, yeah, I know that gym's kind of old, but I like it. And like, But granted, my only experiences in it, or I think once when I was in college, I went to an Ole Miss State game there, I think. But that was really my only experience to it, and I, I really enjoyed it. I just it, I understand the dynamic. I just still find it a strange one that they can't get people to come to those games despite having a competitive club. Yeah, it's, it's bizarre, man. Um, I mean, you've got the women's team that does really well, and maybe you just can't support two basketball teams. But So, okay, to, but that, right, that might be it right there. Is there a dynamic anywhere else in the country where the women's program is awesome and it coincided? Because Ben Howland has it rolling lately, but the women's rise came when the men's team really stunk. Is that happening anywhere else? Like, I'm talking really stink. I don't think so. I mean, South Carolina's been good, and they weren't great on the men's side, but it's different. Um. I but guess UConn men's reason, right? haven't been great lately. But that's a proud program with multiple national titles. Like UConn yeah. fans are a blue blood type fan base in men's and women's basketball. Yeah. Did you see that the those those Barstool guys got arrested for trying to – they were sitting front row at the UConn game, and they had like a sign, the seats they claimed were reserved. I just – I figured that was just part of the bit, but – yeah, a bunch of cops walked up and, and arrested them and dragged them out of the arena for sitting front row at the student section at the UConn game yesterday. What is it? What, what is it? I, I saw parts of that. I saw Barstool got all over that, and I, I don't understand. What, what does it need to arrest them? Why not just kick I, them out of the arena? Man, because sometimes I, I love and respect our law enforcement I think they do a very difficult and important job. There are a few cops, though, that get overzealous. And, I mean, they released the video, like, of all the behind-the-scenes and stuff. These were just super tough guys, you know, just, like, wanted to prove a point to a bunch of dumbass kids. And it, it was it was a joke. Because 
they want to prevent court storming, and that's what those barstool guys are. Like they call themselves the storm chasers and wear like rain gear and shit so they can storm right, so the court. So these storm chasers were barstool guys. That makes way yeah. More sense. It was um, it was the guy that that sings in their punk band, and then uh, yeah. The, <laughs> Yeah, the, it was the, it was those guys. <laughs> okay, that makes way that makes way more sense. So honestly, they wanted to get arrested. That's how of course Dave makes it, it, it's so funny. <laughs> like after they get released from jail, they, like the video's still rolling when they get in their car, and, and the guy driving goes, "Honestly, that was the best case scenario." <laughs> <laughs> I saw really the guy's getting dragged out by his arms and feet, and is still somehow filming as they're like he just went. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, we are bouncing around a bunch, but to wrap That's up. That's all right. Kind of it's the- Friday. I mean, shit, man. The basketball season's over. The baseball team's playing Princeton. Like, we could talk about Love is Blind for the next hour, and people would be interested. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. But wrapping up, just wrapping up the, what we got to get to today, I've got Greg's LB's uh, XFL picks as well. Uh, I got him in this morning. I'll probably have Greg back on the show next week, but uh, I've got his picks. He, he texted his picks. And because two and two last week, I have to be better. So he uh, he 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 hears you. You you didn't even lose money, but by his standards, I guess coming out even is losing money at this rate. So he is uh he is vowed for better performance this week. So we'll get to that. But I guess real quick, remind you go see him University Avenue across from Kroger. Got in some dank looking red snapper yesterday. Uh, I made some wise ass remark that. I didn't know what kind of fish it was at first, but I was trying to promote Greg's product, so I quote-tweeted it and said I caught them at Sardis and to go check it out. Uh, obviously, that's definitely not true. I think all the, the all the fish you catch in Sardis are like trash fish, right? Uh, I think they've got some stripers in there. Okay, but yeah, yeah, but like you're not, yeah, but nothing like like well, obviously red red snappers is a saltwater deal. But like, there's not a whole lot you're gonna cook and eat out of it. It's more just like like game game fishing. Yeah, I, guess, in terms I mean, of- I've seen people pull catfish out of there and then immediately start cooking them like lakeside. But I wouldn't I wouldn't eat catfish out of Sardis. That's just me. I am a, I'm not a food snob either. But just the the mental picture of that, I probably am gonna side with that as well. I'm probably not. Did you ever that. go party out there? Uh, was that still a thing when you were there? I remember. Um, <laughs> Like the night, so the the final night of Rush, when like all the the chapters were doing their bid sessions and stuff, and like finalizing all of that shit, the entire freshman class basically went to that the, the big long like twelve hundred yard Sardis Beach and just threw down. Did that still happen when uh, when you were going through? Uh, not not that specifically, but when I was younger in school, I remember. Uh, people would go out there because obviously if you're under 21, I know they have like, like various types of law enforcement that patrol out there, but that they're not necessarily trying to bust underage kids drinking. So like that was a big under 21 spot, not condoning drinking alcohol under the age of 21 on this podcast, just being realistic. Uh, so when I was really, when I was like, I would say very much freshman year, I went a couple of times with some friends. And then really after that, I, I didn't, it wasn't a big thing. I had, uh, I, li- I lived around, and I guess with some guys from like South Georgia that really like to get knee deep in the mud and things of that nature. Uh, and they really enjoyed going out there to like shoot guns and eat stuff. But like outside of that, not a, not a ton, but I do like start. It's like on a Sunday or something. That was not always the worst, the worst thing to do, but certainly still a thing. I loved uh, it out there, man. One time when the, uh, the lake was way, way down. And so you, I mean, you remember you had like miles of just, 
not white sand, obviously, but like really light colored sand and just like easy to drive on beach. Like a buddy and I went out there with our golf clubs. It just kind of like smacked balls around out there at Sardis. Like we made our own little course and shit. I loved it out there. So go see Greg. He uh, His fish do not come from Sardis. They come from the ocean. But he's not only got fish, he's got steaks, custom cuts, sausages, all kinds of stuff. It's baseball season, which is, uh, del- uh, I was going to say delivery season. That'd probably be confusing with a uh, meat company. It is prime time season is what I'm trying to say for Greg. He feeds the baseball team. He can feed you while you watch the baseball team. He's got packs that you can take out to Swayze, grill some sausages, uh, he's got steaks, custom cuts, all kinds of stuff. Go see him. Best place in Mississippi to get meat. I guess let's just start with the questions. Then we'll go basketball and Greg's picks because if you really want to uh, profit from this podcast, you're going to have to suffer through till the bitter end. So we've got an array of questions uh, that also vary in I think their level of seriousness. I got a question about Airbud last night. Uh, let me pull all of these up. And let's see. I should have already had this pulled up, but here we are. All right, I'll start from the bottom up. Here we go. What thoughts on Mississippi State's outlook for the rest of the season without JT? Again, why do you think they handled the situation as oddly as they did? Uh, State's not the only ones, but they are. I mean, every school has their thing. State is very notorious for... uh, for whatever reason, controlling injury information. I think most people had an idea of what the hell is going on uh, with JT again when when the initial diagnosis came out. He had the same kind of trouble last year. I don't know why they handled it as weirdly as they did. I hate it for him. Like I know he's got an insurance policy. I know he can come back next year. Tommy Johns is as safe as ever, but it's still one of those things where you just never know. I mean, you remember Sean Johnson, the big lanky, I think he's left-hander, uh, for Ole Miss. Uh, a couple of years ago, he had Tommy John and was by the end of his career was just never the same. I mean, he, he couldn't make it through three, four innings. So I hate it for him. I, I don't think that's going to happen to JT again. I hope he comes back fully, fully healthy. It's just, it sucks because that's always a scary and iffy injury. Uh, as far as them handling it the way they did, I, I don't know. Colleges are obsessive. Like colleges are obsessed with controlling the message to the point where they always come out looking like assholes. I don't understand it. Like the ones that are less paranoid. I saw Boston. Did you see Boston? I know I'm going off on a tangent here. Did you see Boston College? I think it was the other day is now opening up their locker room, like a professional style locker room for the football team after games. Oh, wow. And I've never heard of a college doing that. I don't want to get the school wrong. I'm going to look it up, but I'm pretty sure it was Boston College. And I've never heard of a school doing that, but the reasoning was this is going to prepare these kids if they go play professional football, or really it's just going to prepare them for handling questions in life. And they're exactly right. Like the, we've done the Larry. There's McCunzel a reason. Yeah, there's a reason he said I or that went as poorly as it did because he's never spoken to media before. Yeah, they didn't let him speak for a year and a half, and then they put him in front of every God and everyone on draft night. Like you're doing kids a disservice. So, college, like, long story short, I won't go off into that tangent today because that's really one that I get really fired up about. But colleges are so obsessed with controlling a message that it just turns. Like, I don't know why. But anyway, as far as their yeah. season outlook, I don't know enough about state's pitching staff to know. But I know they're a good, talented club. So, like, I don't think this is going to sink them, but I think it does change the way they look and certainly how they win games. Yeah, starting pitching outside of Ginn was at least um, a question mark, and now it further exemplifies that. 
They, they should be fine. I know they haven't hit well this year. They have a ton, even without Allen, a ton of experience and, and guys that can hit and have hit at this level before. Um, so they should be okay. Or they, okay, there. The problem is, I mean, their schedule is not easy either. You know, it's we talk about how difficult Ole Miss's schedule is, and th- I mean that's that's absolutely true. Life but in the SEC isn't is life easy in either. the SEC. Yeah, life yeah. In the, yeah, but it's just Ole Miss got a terrible East draw is why it's more personified. Yeah. But to your point, yes, yeah, state not. I mean, no one has a cakewalk in the West, and their problem is going to be matching up starting pitcher for starting pitcher. Uh, so, I mean, we'll see. I mean, they've got next week, they play Texas Tech, the number one team in the country twice, and then they have Arkansas, if I remember correctly. Um, so we will learn very, very quickly about what life after JT Ginn is going to look like when the competition uh, gets significantly better uh, they than open it has with been Arkansas, right now. They don't they? They have, yeah, it's at Arkansas at home. So, after the Quinnipiac series, they have a Tuesday and Wednesday game in Biloxi against Texas Tech, again, the number one team in the country. And then two days later, welcome Arkansas. So those are uh, five games in six days where you will have a very good idea of what uh, their starting pitching and just pitching in general is going to be like uh, without that guy. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, and then the injury thing, I, I tweeted about it yesterday. Man, the runaround thing doesn't make any sense because, like you said, now you look silly. And nobody in the local media there is going to challenge it, and I certainly understand why. There's a very interesting, to put it nicely, uh, dynamic there with if you, like, report things without their permission, they will, like, shun you from the press conferences. It's happened before. Um, and they still have yet to have a press conference about why they fired their previous baseball coach. I mean, so they get away with stuff like that there for whatever reason. And the local guys, like even the ones that really want to, you know, do their job and do honest, like real sports journalism, they can't. Like they're they're not allowed to do it, or else they will lose all of their access. It's it's one of those dynamics. But at the same time, it, wh- why did you put people through the runaround when you knew that's what he needed? And they still, they still have. They still won't say Tommy what it Thomas. is. Like what? Are, <laughs> it's what, elbow what do you think surgery. You're what the hell do you think that is? <laughs> it's elbow surgery in baseball. <laughs> what do you think you're gaining? What do you think you're gaining by by hiding that? I mean, it's not a HIPAA deal. There are so many other programs that are like, yeah, this guy's got it. South Carolina has had three pitching injuries this year, and straight up said, hey, this kid's got to go get Tommy John. It's not the end of the world. Like, you're not revealing the nuclear codes. If you know the kid's not going to pitch, I, I just I don't understand the charade. Like, you, you gain nothing except for what should be skepticism about how you handle things. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Like, why not just the kid needs Tommy John? It sucks. We hate it. We're going to give him all the resources we can. He's got to get surgery. He's out for the year. Like, why not just release that? Why not? What do you gain by hiding it until? Well, I'm not going to go into the specifics, but yeah, he had a surgery, so that's all. That's all you got. Sorry. Like, what do you gain? I, Literally I nothing. I get you're trying to protect the kid to some degree, but it once it's like once it's it, it's a reality. Uh, well, see, it's interesting. Like I saw JT again tweeted yesterday just then about it or whatever. So maybe the whole we're getting a bunch of opinions thing was honest and genuine. But to your point, once it becomes a reality. There's no point in hiding it. Before yesterday, <laughs> like he lines, had the they... surgery before yesterday. I guess it was the day before, but like 
you know that oh, somebody okay, needs surgery. Never mind. That that dispels what I was saying. I, yeah, so Rip, the, Rippy, the surgery's yeah, happened. It's already happened. Uh, okay. Uh, See, I, yeah, ridiculous. I've got nothing along those lines. Speaking of Sean Johnson, when I was a uh, when I was at the student newspaper, I actually wrote a profile on Johnson's recovery uh, from Tommy John and like everything that it entails. And honestly, that was really when I kind of learned about just how awful that whole process is and why it's so lengthy. But uh, speaking of not disclosing what, what kind of elbow surgery it is, I had a managing editor who saved my ass more times than I can count. She was awesome, but didn't know anything about sports. And I got into like a 45. She wanted to change the name of the surgery because she didn't think Tommy John was an official term. And I was like, look, if you put the like if you put the WebMD or what like medical thesaurus like definition or name of the surgery, nobody is going to understand it. Please just trust me on this one. And it turned into like a 45 minute argument, which I eventually won. Thank God. But uh, they didn't they didn't want to put that out there because it wasn't an uh, official term. It's like Tommy John is Tommy John. Just leave it at that. Yeah, if you called it the other thing, not a damn person would know what you're talking about. I don't about. even remember what the other thing is now. Like, I don't remember what it, what it's called. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Uh, so I don't know what it, it means for the rest of their season. I think they'll still be okay. I would, uh, I mean. <laughs> Ulnar collateral ligament reconstruction surgery. There you go. But uh, as far as the outlook on their season, I don't know. I think they'll still be in the mix in the in the middle of the West. I don't think. I don't think they could win the West without JT again. I guess that would be my hot take for the day. Um, so, and I think yeah, they'll struggle more not, to host. But they, I mean, they're talented enough to to win ball games and and make the the NCAA tournament and be a two or three somewhere. Yeah, if they oh god, if they miss the NCAA tournament, I, I I wouldn't even see that much on the table. I think they'll have a, a harder time hosting. I don't think they can't do it. That's a double negative, but you get what I'm saying. I just think that the ceiling a little bit is probably a lower. Uh, but man, if they miss the tournament, something bad happened with that team. Anyway, uh, you stumble. This this is from a guy named Poor Man's Taft, which I think is a play on Robert Taft. I don't know. You stumbled upon a magic lamp. Upon rubbing it, a magic genie emerges. What are the three press box meals you wish for? <laughs> <laughs> I am a, I'm not a big, like, <laughs> what a question. Yeah, that, oh, is, that is a wild question. <laughs> I am not a, uh, I'm not a big, like, press box, uh, like, food complainer. Like, to me, free food is free food. I know some, a lot of old, crusty, particularly newspaper guys really get up in arms about, like, free food and what's good and what's not. I, uh, there are some places where, like, I, I don't understand as nice as Alex Box Stadium is, all they serve you are really old hot dogs and nachos like every single game which is like unedible like that i don't really enjoy but outside of that i don't really care um oh you can't ever go wrong with the pulled pork sandwich and uh like baked beans and coleslaw or chips or whatever the hell it is like something basic a lot of times they try to get too fancy at the basketball games and it's like it's like i don't want i'm trying to think of like like a type of meal like i don't want some like fancy like 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 fried steak dish or something like just give me the basic i'll take a burger and chicken i say that i eat uh ballpark food at swayze field like 40 something times a year and the rotation of burger pizza corn dog and chicken tenders uh is really bad for my health probably but uh so it goes so three three press box meals i don't know i don't really have a good answer for this i uh, i'm not very particular uh unlike some people 
but I am. Uh, if you're gonna give me free food, I'm probably gonna eat it. I guess is what I would say. But great question, poor man's Taft. Breaking Bad or The Wire? I tried to get into Breaking Bad a long time ago. I know it's probably a good show. It started too slow for me. I got hooked on The Wire immediately. Even though I still haven't finished The Wire, I really enjoyed it. So I'm going to say Team Wire. I have never seen Breaking Bad. And guy makes meth. The end. Uh <laughs> I mean, it's more than that. I get it's a good show. I just it got weird to me. I couldn't get into it. I really like The Wire, so I, I, I that's probably what I'm going with. I feel like Can, I've seen The Wire based on the number of times people mention The Wire when it comes to politics. I just didn't realize how uh, how old it was. My girlfriend got me watching it like literally like a year and a half ago, and I was like, man, this show kicks ass. Like, when does it come on? And she's like, this happened in the '90s. Uh, so I or maybe it was early 2000s. I. Uh, I've really enjoyed it, though. It's just a bunch of episodes, and I can't ever commit to things like that anymore. So I haven't finished it, but I, I do enjoy The Wire. Can... The Wire started in 2002, and final episode was 08. <laughs> yeah, and I was over here asking. I was like, why, why, like what is, what's the next season of this? So <laughs> the, the next question is from Jared Robinson. Can Knox LaPosta play in any other positions besides catcher? So he can bat more often. This is a good question. I don't know the answer to this, but I will. Uh, I will actually ask Mike Bianco for you or someone around the program. Uh, Knox Lapaster is in an interesting, interesting position because he he's not a bad catcher. Like I th- like from what I've seen, the little very little I've seen, he could be a decent college catcher. But he got sandwiched in between Hayden Dunhurst and Cooper Johnson, and that's really just a tough, tough go of it. But a kid that hits for power, I think he's got two home runs. He had two home runs and six at-bats. I guess he got another at-bat the other night. Seven at-bats this year. Uh, you know, he had a home run with nine RBIs and ten hits and 47 at-bats last year with five walks and HBP on base percentage was okay. Like, he's a good, I think, productive hitter for them. It's just, he's just kind of caught in the middle. I think that would help them if he were able to, uh, if he were able to do, like, if he were able to do that. I just I don't know that to be honest I don't know the answer, uh, but he seems like a a good left-handed bat to have off the bench. I don't think Mike Bianco he's kind of in the Kevin Graham category, um, or excuse me, right-handed bat. I don't know why I said left-handed. I know I'm not sure Mike Bianco completely trusts him against right-handed pitching. Uh, I think he's like he's more of a I'm going to pinch hit you in a matchup thing. But uh, I would like to actually see him get more run. I was talking to Chase Parham about this the other day, and just like if you can find him more plate appearances, and it's tougher on this team. Uh, I'd just be interested to see what he do because he's got a lot of pop in that bat. Because he was a he was a kid I remember last year. Like even with the uh, like even in the sp- like spare time he saw, like he had a bunch of loud outs. And I know that sounds dumb, but like I swear every time he even hit a ball that like fly out or something, I was like, damn, he got all of that one. So uh, well, that's great where question. OPS comes in, you nerd. Yeah, I just I don't know the answer to it. So I I, uh, I don't know. I'll I'll ask, but good question because it. It's interesting he's, how seldom he's used, given he's seemed to make the most of his opportunity. Um, let's see. Plum Dog Millionaire, how do you see the roles of Gilbert, Kimbrell, and McDaniel shaping up when SEC play gets going? Uh, talk to me in five days, honestly, because, or five games, because honestly, that's what you're going to see this weekend. Uh, we talked about this on Wednesday's show. Gilbert, Kimbrell, McDaniel, uh, Cole Baker, 
I'm trying to think who else. I'm missing someone in the oh, West Burton. That whole group of five or six dudes is kind of who they're searching to find a couple of them to trust for depth. I think Kimbrell's got a little bit better chance or will probably get a little bit of a benefit of a doubt than a, so, uh, than the others because he's a left-handed pitcher in a right-handed uh, heavy bullpen, as we've mentioned a couple of times. And a Benji Gilbert's probably into that category too. Uh, so I, d- I don't know. I don't really know what their role is going to be. I, I will go as far as say they're going to probably need a couple of them at some point this year. I just don't know who it's going to be. But Gilbert and Kimbrell have pretty good chances because they are left-handed. Uh, I think I'll, I liked what I saw for the most part from Kimbrell on uh, Thursday in, or Tuesday in the three innings that he pitched. I just don't know. I don't know what they're going to be. I think that's what this team is actually trying to figure out through the next week. Uh, I'll take your word for it. You're the one that, uh, that covers the team so closely. So, Does Lane regret not hiring Cochran now that Kirby has snapped him up? I still don't understand what fully went into this. I don't know if regret's the right word because it would have been one of those, oh, if you land him, great. If not, you don't really have a ton to lose uh, type of deals. So I don't know if regret's the right word, but I think he would have liked to have had him. But I also think he really likes Wilson Love. Well, but the thing is, Scott Cochran would have been an on-the-field assistant. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, um, it's more like Cochran over Blake Gideon. Um, I I still, to this day, don't understand the Cochran thing. And I know uh, apparently Lane and him are close, and if Lane's listening to this, which he is not, he will probably call me crazy. I still just cannot figure out what people see in this Cochran to Georgia being some crazy, wow, Kirby's got huge balls for doing this. You hired a lifelong strength coach to be your special teams coach. Why is that a big deal? Like, I know it's taking Saban's guy or whatever, but did you see who Saban hired? A really damn good replacement. Like, that's what Nick Saban does. To think that he can't exist as a major college football coach without Scott Cochran, is just pure lunacy. They're recruiting the best players in the country, and he just hired a really good strength and conditioning coach uh, to replace Scott Cochran, who was a really good strength and conditioning coach. But this idea that Georgia just pulled some kind of a coup, that's what Kurt Herbstreit called it. He called it a freaking coup, getting a strength coach to be your special teams coach. Like, I don't see, and I think part of it is just the time of year and college football media sometimes over sensationalize moves. Uh, maybe just they're just not used to it. I don't know what the deal is because that does not match the hype that it got to me at all, especially when you look at who Nick Saban was able to hire after the fact. Uh, another really good one. Like that's what just, Nick Saban does. But he was like, I, I get like, I, I, I generally agree with your point that like in terms of actual impact, how much difference is this actually going to make? Probably not. But in terms of just like drama and storyline, which is some degree part of the business that we're in and part of the SEC or just college football nature, like yeah. you pluck – he's the strength coach of all strength coaches. Like if you go to their games before the game, he's on the video board like yelling and getting them hyped up and he's in the middle of all their hype videos. Like I think he had his own like re, like bank commercial in, in Tuscaloosa. Like how many strength coaches – like I bet a ton it's not of just in Tuscaloosa, fans. man. I mean, it was showing up on my TV uh, around here. Exactly, and, I, and like I, I bet a bunch of casual Miss fans like probably didn't know who Ole Miss's strength coach was uh, in the previous staff. Maybe they did. Maybe I'm selling a bunch of people. Well, he short. was there forever. So exactly, but it, that's exactly why it's getting this type of attention. With all the staff turnover Nick Saban's had, and he's done it with so many different coaches and so many different players, so many different coordinators, so many different. 
analysts, blah, blah, blah. This was the one constant in this whole run in the greatest dynasty we've seen ever in college football. This was the one kind of cog in the machine that had been there from the start. Saban's guy, they, you know, the deep connection, and somehow Kirby Smart was able to wriggle that out of the machine and pluck it into his. I think it's more the idea of it than the fact, the act of, like it, than it having an actual impact. It's just the idea that he could be pried away from Alabama. Uh, yeah. Because the more I read into it, it was more It'd be just different the shock if they, if Kirby made him like hired him to the same job. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. he made him an on the field assistant, which apparently, according to that story in al.com AL. yesterday, was what he always wanted to do was to become an on the field assistant, and that wasn't going to happen in Alabama. So, I mean, Kirby offered him that. Like, it'd be different if he hired him as a strength coach. Just, I, and what everything you just said makes perfect sense. But I guess what I'm trying to say is the college football media at large didn't add that kind of nuance to it. That, yeah, he took Saban's guy. That's something. But also he had to give him a spot as an on-field assistant to do something he's never done before. Yep. I mean, it's just it's, – it's more of like the shock value of him being pried away and like – and honestly, as uptight as Saban is and like the cult-like reign he has over the SEC and no one should be able to topple him over, uh, just like poking holes. Because that's what you're slowly seeing. I'm not doing the whole Alabama dynasty is over thing. But for so so long, this that program and him at the face of it seemed so invincible and just never going away and they're going to dominate college football ever. They're just looking more and more vulnerable now because this past year's team with Tua going down and all that was the most al- vulnerable Alabama team you've seen in some time. And I think this is just kind of adding along to that narrative and storyline. It's not going to be true because one, like either next year, or either this year or the year after that, they're going to go 12-0 and 0 and kick everyone's ass again and be back and the dynasty's not over, all that jazz. But like it's fun, I think, for people to imagine them being vulnerable and this possibly being the end of what has become a tiresome reign. Yeah, yeah so, I hear you. Anyway, that's a long way to answer. I don't think he regrets it. I don't think it was ever that really a possibility. I never got a straight answer. I know we had Talty who wrote that story on yesterday of the outside forces that stopped that. What the hell is that? I I don't know because, like, there's no way that would be Jimmy Sexton, right? Because I, I just – I don't know if that adds up. Maybe I'm wrong, but um, – to me, it felt like that was a Saban thing. And I, this is just a guess. That's all this is. But when I read that, I thought maybe since Lane apparently values their relationship so hard that it, that Saban influenced that in some way and stopped that from happening. But I just I can't imagine the agent of both parties would stop that from happening. You know, it's not the agent's job. Yeah, see that just uh, that theory doesn't add up to me. There, there are layers that I'm just missing. I mean, I've seen that suggested a few places. I even got asked if Jimmy Sexton's the one that blocked that, and I, my thought is that doesn't make any sense. That that just doesn't make any sense to me. And maybe I'm missing a, a connection or a reason why. But what makes sense to me is Saban stopping that from happening. Somehow, some way, whether like he told Lane, hey, don't do this because there's this problem, you know, like uh, basically stopped him from doing it or in an indirect way. That's the only thing that adds up to me. 
is Saban found a way to stop it one way or another because he didn't want Cochran going to an SEC West opponent and then also a former assistant. Next question we get is from Mavs Draft. This is a Twitter account I follow. I'm not even a Mavs fan. I just enjoy the NBA. I'm not, uh, I appreciate the work this guy does. I don't even actually know why he's asking me this. I should have him on the podcast and ask him this. But he said, am I too late? This guy is a, he's a credentialed writer that uh, does draft analysis, and I think it centers on the, uh, the Dallas Mavericks. But he does a lot of cool like film stuff, and I find his insights on Twitter uh, insightful. It's at Mavs Draft. But anyway, he said, am I too late? If not, I'm curious to hear Brian Tyree's draft prospect status and what the general pro future is for the roster. Uh, well, <laughs> how long he got in terms of the roster, I don't – I mean, I guess it could be a quick thing. Anyway, uh, Tyree – I mean, Tejeda had mentioned the other day, there's got to be, like he said, I've seen worse players in the NBA. There's got to be room for him on the NBA roster with the way he scores. Well, is it the, I don't think the offense is the problem. So he, he can't sco- defend. Yeah, he's, he scores at all three levels. He's honestly one of the best pure scorers I've ever seen come through Ole Miss. I mean, he's more refined than Moody or Henderson was. He's 6'2", 195. I mean, that's not too, that's not too small to play in the NBA, but like, I think it's more defensive issues at times. Uh, he's not always like, like I'm not like he put the, like, it's hard to say this because he put the team on his back and carried just a ridiculous offensive load uh, this year for them. But a lot of times there were kind of hollow points and hollow scoring. Like who's considered a tiny guy in the NBA, Trey young. Like you look um, at Trey Young and you think he's real small, right? Like well, that's you th- kinda- I mean, like people talk about Steph Curry as if he's small. Trey Young's six one one eighty. Brian Tyree's six two one ninety five. And Trey like, Young's awful defensively too. Yeah, he's the worst. He's the worst player in the NBA. Defensive player, excuse me. I, <laughs> that was almost a blasphemous statement. Uh, but he is the worst defensive player in the NBA. I don't. I'm not even sure how much of an argument it is. So you know. Steph Curry, 6'3", 185, smaller guy. So, like, I mean, to me, with the way the NBA is going and everyone being in that 6'5 to 6'10 range and still need, being able to stretch the floor and shoot the ball, like, if you're a guard at that size, you got to you got to really be able to score and you got to be able to hold your own defensively to some degree, if not. Like, right, Trey Young is an absurd scorer. Steph Curry is probably the greatest, one of the greatest shooters, maybe the greatest shooter we've ever seen. And while Tyree is a great player at all three levels, he has one of the best mid-range jump shots in in the country. And the reason I don't say the best in the country is because I just don't watch enough like college hoops, like like people that cover the sport nationwide do to know to say educated. Educatedly, is that even a word? I'm just making shit up here. <laughs> but he he has one of the best mid-range games in the country. When he goes by you and gets his shoulders by you going to the rim, He's going to score. I've said this a hundred times. You're going to foul him. He's going to finish, or it's going to be an and one. And then he's turned himself into like a 37, 38% three-point shooter. I think he's at 37% this year. So he's a fantastic scorer. I just have concerns about the defense. And at his size, he doesn't have some discernible trait, like ridiculous three-point shooting, just offensive machine that would like like make, make him have value in spite of the defensive shortcomings and the size, I guess is what I would say. It's weird to say him at 6'2", 195, but maybe – I'm not ruling it out. He's got a shot. But, like, the reason Terrence Davis 
was draft was was a draft like had draft value because he's a ridiculous athlete and he can jump through the roof and he's long and lanky and like Davis wasn't a polished defender when he was at Ole Miss, but Kermit Davis turned him into a decent one in terms of like discipline and kind of like knowing what to do out there. Like I talked to a guy one time uh, when Terrence Davis was younger and it was like, they were having like the, I'm not going to say exactly what he said, but when Terrence Davis first got to Ole Miss, they were having to explain stuff to him defensively in terms of like basic defensive rotations and stuff that, they were shocked he wasn't he didn't learn in high school type of thing. Like the level of learning he, curve he had to have defensively was like started below what most people do. And so once he kind of figured that out, the athleticism was there, so people could like you could just kind of mold him around that. With Tyree, I just don't think it's the same thing. The athleticism is good, but it's not that freakish and it's just I mean, he's a six two one ninety five point guard. There's a bunch of those out there and how many are successful in the NBA, or at least like great players. So, I don't know. Uh, honestly, you'd probably be better at answering this than me in terms of the uh, Mavs draft guy. But uh, that's kind of my take on his draft prospects. As for everyone else, is there? Do you see another NBA player on the roster? Uh, KJ Buffin, if he learns how to shoot. Yeah, that's if he a, developed he, any yeah, kind of he, outside uh, shot, he he could he could could being the key word. Uh, have a shot in the NBA. You're basically saying he has the frame to be a monster. He has the frame and the physical tools to be an NBA player. He's just got to shoot seven, the two twenty, And if he can, de- exactly, 10.6 rebounds a game, like, that's an ideal frame if you could put, you know, not even really, maybe a little more weight. I think they were trying to get him to, like, 230-something and get him. But does he finish well enough around the rim? Like, is, is he a strong enough finisher? I guess that's something you could add. But body frame-wise, it's probably Buffin. I don't really see C. I don't really see Henson. No, uh, C's not physical not enough. Shooter. I mean, Henson's way too inconsistent shooting the basketball. He's a big guard, though. I mean, he, you know, talk about physical frame. He's got it, but there, I, I don't see that from him right now. Um, That's nobody else much really. People don't quite understand how difficult it is to make it in the NBA. No, they don't. Uh, Sean Robinson, 6'11", 210, uh, kid that should be a senior in high school this year. His redshirting is one to keep an eye on. Definitely a frame kid. I'm going to be honest, I haven't seen him, so I don't know what he is as a player. But they are super high on him in terms of a rebounder and a force down low and a rim protector. So that'd be another one I would add. But outside of that, I don't know. I don't know what Luis Rodriguez is as a prospect. He hasn't been healthy enough long enough. 6'6", 200 pounds, really athletic, tough kid, rebounds. But I don't know. He hasn't stayed healthy long enough to know what, for me to know what he is offensively, you know? So I would put those three. Just like I'm not saying they like have a legitimate shot, but if you're just looking at a radar, I'd go with those three outside of Tyree. So, yeah, that sounds about right. Hell of a draft breakdown we just had there. That was uh, that was nice. Oh. Anyway, let's rip through these last couple. How good, how good are the better XFL things? Who could you see Houston St. Louis beating, and where's the line drawn? When they have no shot in hell, we'll go college here because I, I I think this is interesting. Could they beat college teams? Yes. Yeah, they could okay, beat that, college. That was a dumb question. Could they beat like hot like ranked college teams? Yes, hmm. right. I mean, Cardale Jones has sucked in the XFL and he won a national championship. Yeah, I'm gonna say yes, absolutely. I mean, it's professional football. I, I mean. 
It's the age thing as much as anything else. I mean, these are just these got are, are four or five year old, four or five years older than that of their college counterparts in some cases. But I, I mean, hmm, could this past LSU team beat an XFL team? Probably. Mm-mm. Yeah, that Tampa Bay team stinks. They're really bad. The quarterback play in the XFL, I first kind of dismissed that. It's bad. It's just, it's really bad. And because the quarterback play in the NFL is not any good. I mean, in a lot of cases. So, man, I don't know. Um, there's a handful of college teams that could beat an XFL team. I would agree. Definitely. I mean, Jordan Tom is the best the XFL whole. quarterback, and he was a good, uh, above average college quarterback. Yeah, and there's some NFL arm talent there. I didn't know there was actual discussion out there as far as XFL versus bad NFL teams. I thought that was just some wacko that had jumped into your mentions. But Man, people uh, do pro- that shit every – like, I, I'm okay with list season because you've got to fill content time with something. Like, we did it yesterday. We're probably going to keep doing it today because we didn't even get to the part that, that was the purpose of bringing it up, which was Mike Leach's presence on that list. I'm okay with that kind of stuff because I know you have to do it. But I will never, like, think that can really bad pro team or can really good college team beat really bad pro team. Like, people have that conversation every year. And anytime you say yes, you're stupid. That's just what it comes down to. Like, you, I am very uh, not into the, the hot take style of sports media where you just bitch and yell and, and scream at each other and, like, you can't even respect somebody else's opinion, even if you disagree with it. Like, I love the Dan Patrick show and Rich Eisen. Like, those kind of people, I, I love that content more because they can talk and even disagree with people, and it's layered and nuanced and, like, cordial and not, what? That's preposterous. Like, that kind of shit. I, I can't stand that. Um, but when it comes to that topic, I can't even engage. Like, I will get to the Stephen A. Smith of what, that's preposterous, like, shut this shit down because it's not even worth discussing because you're wrong. That's, the ol- that's like the only off-season subject that I'll really get like that on. Because it's not worth even discussing. Your opinion, it's not an opinion. It's just wrong. I agree. The, it uh... could never happen. It would never happen. LSU... Would not come within eight scores of last year's Cincinnati's Cincinnati Bengals. Would not come within eight scores. That game would be over on two possessions. It would be three and out, touchdown, three and out, touchdown. That's what would happen. Guaranteed. Yeah, I think most rational people know that. I think it's just fun for people to yell and scream about because there are some really bad NFL teams. Uh, here's an interesting one. Is Ole Miss a good value bet at plus 1,600 to win the national title? I wouldn't tell you no with the way they're playing. I don't think they're going to win it, but that at that value, sure. Knock Plus yourself out. Though. I mean, drop yeah. 50 bucks on it, and shit, why not? Yeah, whatever. You'd be ultra-invested come June. So, yeah, why not? Which Rebel basketball player will carry the torch when Tyree will be leaving? I think I read that question wrong. Will carry the torch that Brian uh, – yeah. No, I read it right. Basically, who's replacing Tyree? They're all high on Jarkel Joyner, 6'1". 185, went to Bakersfield, Oxford kid. I saw him in high school a couple of times. Kid can fill it up as a scorer. 
Uh, didn't really have any major offers, and I'm sure there's a reason for that. Went to Cal Bakersfield, played for Rod Barnes, transferred back. Kermit took him in. He's going to take uh, essentially what would be uh, or what was Brian's scholarship. Um, so they're really high on him. Like I, Kermit Davis told me, told us, us media the other day, he's been the best player on the team at times in practice, Brian included. Like to me, that's kind of a holy crap. Did he just say that type of statement? Um, I'm not like disbelieving it. I just want to see it in game action first, because just to me, the odds of that kid immediately being what Brian Tyree was as a scorer this year in major college basketball in the Southeastern Conference seems to me to be like less than 25 percent. Maybe yeah. I'm wrong. Maybe I'm cynical, but it's hard to be as good as Brian Tyree is. I mean, look at everyone else when he was off the floor, and that's going to translate immediately. Maybe so. Again, not saying it's not going to happen. I'm just skeptical. Yeah, and remember, Dominic Olenicek was also a superstar in practice, too. Um, people got so mad. Uh, pe- local people got so mad that Andy Kennedy didn't offer him uh, out of high school. And I- I'm glad you said what you did because that there's a reason – that he had to go to Bakersfield. He became a really nice college basketball player. And I, look, if Kermit's telling the truth, which I don't think he's lying, then he'll be a really good player for Ole Miss. But there's a reason um, that, aside from Andy Kennedy, which pissed everybody off, that Mississippi State, that Memphis, that Arkansas, that LSU, that Vanderbilt, Tennessee, Alabama, Auburn didn't offer him because he wasn't a good enough prospect at that time to play at this level. That's why he went to Bakersfield. He became that guy. You just hit the key, though. Yeah, you just hit the key at that time. Right? You see this all the time. I mean, the extreme example of this is John Morant at that time, which is why I'm not, is exactly why I'm saying, like, that's the best way to put it. At that time, he was not of that caliber of prospect. Again, that's why I'm saying I'm not, I don't disbelieve it. I just want to see it. Yeah, man, John Morant, my God. So um, a few weeks into the NBA season when it was clear that John Morant was, was going to be a really good player, the uh, the local uh, sports radio station in, in my hometown was just, I mean, just ripping apart Clemson and South Carolina. And, and this is why your programs are terrible because you passed on John Morant. It's like, guys, everybody passed on John Morant. Everybody. Anyway, sorry, I know that was off on a tangent, but my God, it's like players are never allowed to get unexpectedly better once they get to college. Like it's like when a kid is seventeen, you have to know seventeen when they're evaluated. They grow at different times. Like breaking news. Yeah, it it happens sometimes. But God, they were just. This is why Frank Martin's never going to make it, and why he should be fired, and why all this stuff because they didn't offer John Morant. And again, nobody did. Nobody did. That's why he ended up where he was. It's okay sometimes. God, man. Sorry. Anyway, uh, no, I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> it just fires me up, man. That's the kind of crap that you get in media now. It just, I mean, there are times that call for really strong opinions and passion about a subject, but there are times where you fake it and then just sound stupid. The, uh, yeah, I mean, just, I mean, again, so the short answer to your question, to this, this guy's question, is Jarkel Joiner. That is what they are banking on. What about Merle? I mean, I know he'll be a freshman, so maybe like by by the time he's a sophomore, you should expect that kind of production from him. Yeah, I just I, I I'm going to be honest. I haven't seen enough like these, particularly basketball kids. It's hard to see enough in like in high school. Can't really tell a ton from film. I'm not a scout, so I don't know. 
uh, it could be, but counting on a you know a freshman shooting guard, uh, you know, out of high school, even though IMG probably a little more polished, decent offer list. I don't know, possibly, but that just to me is a lot of count on as a freshman. At least Joiner's been in the program for yeah. that long, so join no Morrill's a candidate. Like I just like I said, I I just I really honestly don't know. Do you think Airbud could give Ole Miss a leg up in the SEC tournament? Uh, don't really see how he'd stretch the floor. Crest or <laughs> Colgate? I think uh, I have Crest. I think I'm a Colgate guy. But I'm not like, like a guy, though. Like Sometimes, particularly when I was in college, like my mom would be really nice and sometimes make a Walmart run and bring me like supplies so I didn't have to go like buy toilet paper, deodorant, uh, balling on a budget. So uh, a lot of times I was just like, Whatever she got me was it, but then now, now that I'm a big boy adult with a big boy job, I still don't have a toothpaste brand. I just grab whatever I see. So uh, maybe, uh, maybe next to like filing my own taxes, I probably need to become a specific toothpaste and toothbrush brand guy. That's probably another step in my maturation as a human being. So I'm agnostic, uh, I guess is the answer. You walk into the men's room. I cannot read this question. Never mind. Holy cow! Calm down. <laughs> I don't know what you think. Are you looking at this question? Let me see. I don't know, I don't know what you think this podcast is, but I would like to read it, but I can't. I'll, I'll go into it and tread lightly. If you follow me on Twitter, you can go read this question for yourself and understand why I don't answer. You walk into the men's restroom at work and you find a creepy coworker. Doing something in a stall. You immediately leave. He comes out and makes eye contact. He comes out of the restaurant and tries to make eye contact while you do. That's the wrong podcast, bro. I'm just going to leave it at that. I appreciate the humor. Um, (laughs) Another time, another place I might answer that. What are the Chinese and Mexican restaurants in Oxford? Go to. This is from Hey Dad. Uh, People like – I think – I'm going to say something blasphemous to some people, particularly my girlfriend who is from Texas and has this snobby attitude toward Tex-Mex everywhere else. I think all Tex-Mex around here tastes the same. I think it's all pretty good. People seem to like El Agave a bunch. Uh, Chow King is uh, like one of those – I mean this respectfully – crappy hole-in-the-wall Chinese places. It's by my house, but the food's really good. You know when you want Chinese and it just hits the spot? Uh, I am a huge Thai food guy. I actually had it for dinner last night. Uh, my girlfriend, again, got me hooked on it, and I eat an unhealthy amount of it. And they have two good places there. Pick Thai and Rice and Spice are both phenomenal Thai food places. So if that falls in, I know it's not Chinese food, but same kind of you know Mediterranean category, uh, That's that would be my go-to. I don't know. I, I haven't lived in Oxford in a long time. Uh, yeah, so that's probably well, pretty much changed it. a lot since I've been there. Oh, it's on. It's it's changed. I mean, uh, I say I've been here a long time now. It's been changed since I was like a senior. Like I drove out to Anderson, not Anderson, Old Terra Road the other day, and there's a damn not that I'd seen it before, but it was just like one day last, like in last fall, I drove down there. There's a whole new strip center with restaurants and stuff, like where trees and apartments used to be. It's like holy cow. Wait, where? Because I I lived on Old Taylor Road. Uh, so you go down, no, no, see, I can't get anything right. I don't know where anything is. It's not Old Taylor. It's the next one up. Phillips Grocery, that road, uh, South Lamar. Okay, yeah, yeah. They were trying so to make that second square or some shit. Drive past, drive past Phillips. There's now a roundabout with a hospital on the left. You keep driving past that, and it's boom. There's two hotels, four restaurants, a breakfast place, like a breakfast place, all just like sitting right there on your right, right past Phillips Grocery. It's it's crazy. Uh, wow. <laughs> Yeah, so places uh, 
place is growing quick. Not a bad thing. Will Jordan Spieth ever win another major? Or is he too mentally weak? <laughs> I'm just going to have to. I know he's playing well. Not playing well. I know he's falling out of favor. I appreciate this question, but I'm going to have to. like The idea that Jordan Spieth at 20, what's he, 26 probably, is never going to win another major is too much. It's a bridge too far for me at this point. So, yes, he will. Uh, he is not mentally stable on the golf course, though. No, he, he is not. But, I mean, what, he's got a Masters, a U.S. He's 26. Open, He'll be 27 Open. in July. He's got a Masters, a U.S. Open, and a, uh Open Championship, and he's damn close to having three Masters. So, yeah, I'm going to say he's going to win it. I hope he gets back. I like Jordan Speed. I like it uh, when he's better. But, I mean, think about how long Rory's drought's been. It just happens. Tiger Woods normalized winning, and Brooks Kepka to some degree, has kind of gotten there. But is normalized just uh, you know crapping through major championships. It's hard, but yes, he is. Uh, he does have mental demons. I would say that for sure. Uh, last question I think we have is from. There's a quote tweet that I don't want to miss. Should Ole Miss license shoots and boots like Whataburger? Uh, anything to get the revenues up. Anyway, that was the end of our mailbag questions. We appreciate you participating in the People's Holiday. Uh, let's do Greg's picks and then run through just some general storylines on basketball and baseball and then get out of here. So uh, LB's XFL pick them. Go see Greg University Avenue across from Kroger. If you go into a store for as you're headed to the ballpark this weekend, please mention his XFL picks. He'll get fired up. Like I said at the beginning of the show, he's uh, he two and two is just simply not good enough for him. He, he, he vows to be better. He promises to be better, and he says he will be better. So let's go. XFL week. Do you know what week it is, Borky? Four or five? I don't know. I haven't watched it since the opening weekend. I've watched bits and pieces of other games. I enjoy following Te'amu and Fitzgerald's team, the Battlehawks. They uh, they have a great atmosphere. It's good enough football that I'll – like I was on – I was at Funky's with a friend on Saturday after I got off work, and it was on and captured my attention. But I've never like planned a Saturday around it. And I think that's just the way it's going to be. Maybe it grows on everyone. It's just so hard to surpass the NFL. But anyway, Greg's picks. Here we go. I'll run through these pretty quickly. Seattle Dragons are a 12.5-point road underdog at the Houston Roughnecks. He's taking the points. He wants Seattle. He thinks the Roughnecks, uh, P.J. Walker, flying high after a win over Dallas last week. Just not good enough. Greg is taking Seattle. You've got New York Guardians going on the road and getting 7.5 at the Dallas Renegades, who were like the favorites to win the league and have been rather disappointing. Landry Jones, Bob Stoops. One-legged Hal Mummy. He's another road underdog. He's taking New York plus the 7.5. Give Greg the points. So, uh, St. Louis Battlehawks, after two straight home games, going back on the road. Five-point road favorites against the D.C. defenders. Greg is taking D.C. He is uh, slandering Jordan Tiamu and Nick Fitzgerald. He's taking the home favorite defenders who got throttled by a bad Tampa Bay team last week. And finally, L.A. Wildcats. Minus two and a half after the Tampa Bay uh, at home against the Tampa Bay Vipers. I don't know anything about the Vipers other than Mark Trestman is their head coach. Uh, got their first win last week. Two and a half point underdogs. He is taking L.A. So Seattle, New York, D.C., L.A. 4-0 this week, he, the man says. Get rich off his XFL picks. That was electric. Any comment? I don't know, man. I'll tell you. I don't know anything about the XFL. I he seems too it, bullish so we'll, on we'll, Seattle. I don't like their quarterback play. 
We'll uh, take his word for it. But I've seen the pictures. The atmosphere looks good. Oh, by the way, did you see, speaking of Seattle and the XFL, that – Yeah, they, they uh, had a vendor get coronavirus, right, and show up to work? Yeah, holy shit. So they did have to, like, had track down every person that was at that stadium, don't they? I don't know. I don't the, – the, the, the line of misinformation about the coronavirus – and I'm not saying that as a truther. I just can't get an idea on. I'm going to sit down and read some actual like educational stuff at some point, uh, like i.e. not like uh, I don't know sludge or drudge, whatever it's called. I don't understand it. How serious is the coronavirus? I can't get an answer on that. How big of an epidemic is it actually? Is it? I don't get it. So I don't know what the protocol is. Maybe we're all just going to die. It certainly feels like uh, the hysteria is just that. Um, like the people that are waiting in line for hours at Costco to buy toilet paper and shit, those people are all idiots. Just like wash your hands thoroughly um, and just take the regular flu precautions and don't fly to China and you'll probably be okay. Yeah, but it's got people. I've never seen people freak out this badly. I watched UConn and Houston last night. They didn't go through a handshake line. Uh, because of the coronavirus, like the major sports leagues are telling people to dap people up and not sign autographs and stuff. And it's like, like, I thought this was like a, like a, like a hybrid flu type of deal. I think I, my, my dumb ass self, I'm pretty sure when I was making a joke about it on the radio before this became a sensation, I called it the Corona flu. So I, I don't understand. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't know if it should be like if it's being taken too lightly. I don't know if it's not. I don't. Well, know let's put it about this it. way. So I'm if not you're an a expert. Coronavirus obviously. expert, please come on this podcast. And I'm not one. But so just over three thousand people worldwide have died from the coronavirus. Fifty-six thousand people die from the flu every year. But the coronavirus is new, right? Like, give it some time. Like, are we like are we gonna start racking up. I mean, I'm, this sounds morbid. Are you going to start racking up those numbers? I don't know. I, I don't know either. And just But I've also it, read that some people don't even know they have it when they get like diagnosed. Yeah, the mortality rate is, is tiny. I mean, you, it's really, um, especially here in the States where we have such an advanced healthcare system and, and all that stuff. I don't know, man. I'm, I'm certainly not going to talk like an expert, but based on the numbers and all of that and where these things are it kind of feels like people are freaking out for no reason yeah so uh wash your hands you disgusting animals and that's all pretty much all i've got for you the uh and apparently uh, the masks are useless like people are spending a hundred bucks to get one of like hospital masks and they don't help you at all like that kind of stuff i'm not buying a mask if i go i go whatever uh the thing is man you won't get it and even if you do you probably won't go <laughs> well anyway i might stand by by morbid thought so in closing let's just get into some ba- it would that we had a ton of questions that's always great but let's just in closing let's get a couple big picture thoughts on both basketball and baseball we'll start because i kind of feel like i already hit on this on wednesday or i say say we we hit on this on wednesday baseball to me uh i think is he gonna stop like i say he mike bianco is he gonna like at what point is he gonna kind of settle into a regular ish lineup? Like there's always gonna be matchups, there's always gonna be tweaks at DH or one of the corner outfit spots. But when is he gonna stop mixing in four, five, six, seven guys and cut it to like two, three, something like that? Like it, it seems like he's close to doing that, but he's still giving Plumley some run in the outfield. The Salmon's Ely thing is an interesting platoon. Who's the DH? Leatherwood, Van Cleve, you know, Kevin Graham. Like, 
is Elko – it seems it seems pretty set that Elko is going to play outfield and Cole Baker is going to play first base. Like, there's less to be decided to me in the lineup, but that's a couple of questions there. And then really, I mean, rotation, you, you couldn't be more rock solid. It's, as we've talked at, I feel like ad nauseum on this podcast today, Wednesday, just finding a couple of bullpen arms. Like, I want to see, you know, this is kind of some final auditions-ish for these younger guys and mainly freshmen. I know Logan Savelle is a sophomore, but these newcomers and freshmen in the bullpen – because everything else has been as good as advertised. So I think he'd like to pitch some freshmen this weekend, see what they got, see who performs well. Um, and then outside of that, I'd just be interested to look at all three lineups and see if there are any similar patterns and if there's that, that's going to be any hint as to what they're going to wade into an SEC play. Because in a 60-game baseball season, you're always going to have guys that are hot, guys that aren't, and adjust accordingly. But just if he trims that down at all and you get a more regular idea of what he's going to do, lefty versus righty, uh, just through the SEC season. Is this the best weekend to sure that up? I mean, I, I guess the temptation would be there to, to – Hey, hey, I'm sorry. Maverick. I'm sorry, my dogs are deciding they wanted to play Three-man podcast. Um, is this the best weekend for, for this to happen, though? Because, I mean, do you really want to uh, like play Dunhurst three consecutive games against Princeton if you're going to – you know, win by 10, 11, 12 runs each game. I, that, that's probably a really bad way to ask. Is this the weekend that you do sure up your lineup, or do you give a few guys one more audition before next weekend when you have to be pretty stable? Well, I think you can accomplish that by not, by doing, by not doing what you're saying. Like what you're asking, I think you can accomplish it through that. Even if he plays a bunch of dudes this weekend – like, I think there's a way he could figure out what his regular lineup is by having them either succeed or fail type of thing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. As much as he's seeing what he has, he's also seeing maybe what he doesn't have. So, yeah, I think, like, I still think he's going to play a bunch of dudes. Um, I just but wonder, make like, decisions maybe this weekend is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. To me, I, it's probably a bad example. I guess I should, like, you're probably not going to know until LSU comes next Friday. But, like, I still think he's probably going to play a bunch of guys and, uh, decisions will be made this weekend, I guess is kind of my point. And then on the pitching side, it's pretty straightforward. Like a bunch of those dudes are going to get action and it'll be interesting who they, how they perform in the overall kind of five week sample size. Cause it's kind of weird to say, but like conference play is pretty much here. Like you got a week. So that's kind of my general thought on baseball. Uh, hoops. Brian Tyree kind of gets one last one song against state. He's never really shot away from it. Like he, he's, he, he's openly said, I get up for this game. He had that dunk in Starkville his freshman year that, as I mentioned on Wednesday show, was kind of the launching point for his career type of thing. Like, I remember AK always pointed that as, like, see this kid's explosiveness? Like, it's coming back. His knee is healing. Because he had the ACL injury uh, in high school in a dunk contest in April. That was kind of his, like, taking off moment. He was really good in that game. Ole Miss won. Was it an overtime? Maybe. I don't remember. It was a close game. They won on the road. So, like, this is kind of his fine. Like, th- this to me, this is one final chance for a Bree and Tyree moment type of thing. Like, him scoring 40 against State was one of the more impressive scoring performances I have ever seen. So, do you get one more moment of him? Ole Miss can play spoiler. Uh, you're probably a little better equipped to talk about the State side of it in terms of, like, what this means for them. But that's kind of all I got. Well, man, I, I think it means a ton for Ben Howland. I mean, my gosh, in, in year five, if you have – been just dominated by Ole Miss in those five years and only making one NCAA tournament appearance in which you lost to a 12 seed in San Jose 
in a game that nobody watched a year ago, then, I mean, I don't know if the seat will be exactly hot, but the talent is not matching the production at all uh, whatsoever. And you've already got a fan base that's kind of checked out on you. I, I mean, this game's not a must win. Okay, let me change that. It oh, feels like he has to win this game. Yeah, yeah. Because losing it's not going to cost him his job. But losing it might never earn you favor back with the way your program is currently going. Let's be real here, too. Like, I'm just talking, like, I'm just completely, complete, just real talk. Like, I, I, I'm not doing the whole, uh, I'm not doing the whole little brother, big brother rivalry nonsense. I'm not getting into that. But given who it is, it matters to that fan base. Like, like it matters the regular more, season absolutely, against, without a doubt. I mean, it matters to them. And losing to this, like, for them, from a state perspective, him losing to this team as their NCAA tournament hopes peter out in the season finale would be a real crappy look. I don't think he's getting canned, but, like, man, just it being who it is, if Ole Miss were able to – I think State's going to win the game. I think State's better. I think Ole Miss had a ridiculous offensive night the time when they came to the – when State came to the pavilion. But if Ole Miss were able to steal this game on the road, uh, it's just it, – like, who it is would just compound. The, it's an awful look is what I'm trying to say. Especially if you change those two outcomes. If you just flip them, you're probably a tournament team. So 100%. on top of losing to Ole Miss twice, if you don't, you make the tournament. And Ole Miss isn't good. Yeah. Like that, that like it's not a good Ole Miss team. So it's tough, uh, man. And I mean, we talked about it earlier. It, it's a conversation here that ne- I think needs to be had. Uh, uh, we don't do it enough on the radio show, but I mean, the the future of that program, expectations in future under Ben Halland. If they don't make the tournament this year and they lose to Ole Miss twice again, I mean. At some point, you've got to really consider what it, what your future holds. Because you recruit well, but so does everybody else in the SEC now. I mean, it's not a thing where signing three, four stars in a class is good anymore. It was when he first started. If you remember, his recruiting classes were, were unreal. And they didn't translate to wins, not at a high level. And now you compound that with the fact that, I mean, Texas A&M, who... I mean, it's kind of been a bottom feeder the last few years. Um, now has Buzz Williams. And even Georgia is acquiring talent, at least, more so than you might be at this point. And Ole Miss has upgraded their recruiting acumen. And they've beaten the shit out of you the last few years anyway. So everybody around you is getting better coaches and players. And now... What he was doing on the recruiting trail, talking about Ben Halland, is not as impressive as it was three, four years ago because everybody else is doing the same thing. And now they've upgraded coaching. I don't think he's a great coach. I think he's a really good recruiter. And you can roll your eyes and you know talk about why that is, but he, he acquires talent very well. But even the final four teams... Those aren't great coaching jobs when you look at the talent that was there. You know what I mean? And he's not getting those kind of guys at Mississippi State either. I agree. I think that's well said. It's an interesting place to like like that bat the state that basketball program is in, win or lost to Ole Miss on Saturday, is interesting because they're not in a bad state. They're just kind of stuck in the mud, like in the middle ground. And it's it's sometimes that's the most frustrating place to be for fans, and it creates 
a strange dynamic. But yeah, well said. I, I completely agree. It'll be, again, win, lose to Ole Miss, whatever, whatever aside, the next like nine months of State's basketball program is kind of going to be fascinating to watch. So anyway, let's get out of here. We had a long show today. Uh, good show. Lots of mailbag questions, lots of engagement, covered a bunch of stuff. Um, but we'll be back at it on Monday. We'll have a basketball, baseball recap, your usual Monday all-encompassing uh, weekend recap type of show. Um, but for Michael Borky, I'm Brian Scott Rippey. One more time, if you're going to the baseball games this weekend or if you're just around town, go see Greg LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Make money off his picks. We appreciate you listening, and Borky and I will be back at it on Monday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.